While the COVID-19 crisis has decimated the finances of some people, it has been kinder to others. While some have lost jobs or had their incomes slashed, others have managed to retain the same wage level and actually build up a healthy savings pot because restrictions prevented them from spending. In the UK, Britons have built up £100 billion in excess savings during the pandemic. While in the US, America's young adults doubled their assets to more than $10 trillion for the first time ever. So how should the young handle their new COVID cash pile? With vaccinations set to ease restrictions in 2021, is now the time to splurge that cash or to build on that savings base? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Alice Hayne from The National and joining me today is Iona Bain, founder of Young Money Agency, who will offer her advice on the right path to take. Welcome to the show, Iona. Oh, it's great to be joining you, Alice. Now, the last year has seen some people's finances crumble and others fly. And if we focus on those who are actually better off, first of all, what have you noticed among people who have managed to build up their savings over the last year? Well, I think that the crisis has really caused young people to rock back on their heels. But I also think that it's caused young people to become more resourceful and self-sufficient. So if we take an example like food, at one time, young people might have been in the habit of going out to restaurants and getting takeaways, and they might have forgotten the basic skills of cooking and how to have a meal budget. Whereas now, I think most younger people have a lot more time on their hands. Um, Here in the UK, we are now in our third lockdown and only the supermarkets are open as essential shops. So really, you've got no choice but to cook more of your own meals at home. And I think that means that younger people are rediscovering a lot of basic life skills um, that will stand them in good stead even after this crisis passes. I also think that younger people are engaging much more with their longer term finances. And I think that's partly because last year we saw the stock market crash and it opened up an opportunity for young people to get into the stock market if they had some savings. And I just think younger people are becoming much more aware of the opportunities of long term investing. And that's one reason why I wrote my book, Own It, because I really feel that uh, younger people do have this incredible opportunity to be part of the economic recovery in a meaningful way, i.e. as Uh, shareholders investing in companies that will contribute uh, to us rebuilding society. Um, So I think that, yes, this has been a really difficult time for many younger people, but it's also provided some very unique, promising opportunities as well. What are people generally doing with their money? You you mentioned there about, you know, investing in a company and, and possibly making your money work that way. But what are you noticing people are doing with it? Are they letting it sit there? Are they paying off debt? Some of them frittering it away on Amazon? Um, I think all of those things, Alice, I think if you didn't have a particularly healthy balanced relationship with money before this crisis came along, um, then you're not suddenly going to change your spending and saving habits overnight. Undoubtedly, a lot of younger people are shopping online during lockdown really is a coping mechanism. And that's completely understandable. You know, part of my job is not making young people feel guilty or ashamed of their spending, because that's counterproductive. It's better to try and help younger people identify what spending genuinely enhances their life, um, how they can afford the things they really want and need, but otherwise how they can build up some financial resilience. So I think that whilst we do have younger people 
perhaps getting a little bit addicted to online shopping, which is not surprising given how easy it is, but also taking advantage of this time to save and pay off their debt. So here in the UK, we saw record levels of debt being paid off uh, and savings being accumulated last year. And that won't be true for all young people, but it's certainly true for an awful lot that have managed to keep on working uh, and have been able to consolidate their finances. And if they're fortunate, they've, as I said, been able to put some more money into the stock market as well. Now, we're going to start easing out of lockdown. Here in the UK, I'm actually in my fourth lockdown because I did an extra one because I had coronavirus. So I had to do an extra six weeks of not coming out the house. It's a tough time, but at the same time, it it does give you a chance to really build up that savings pot. And that's something that I've managed to do. And I like your mention of the baking because as a family, we do a tremendous amount of baking and I've seen my children actually creating dinners now, which is fantastic. But as we start heading out of lockdown again, and this is something that happens globally, what what are the risks here? I mean, the UAE, for example, is still relatively free in terms of movement, and that creates more opportunities to spend, whereas other countries such as the UK are very much in lockdown. So as we start easing out of this crisis, is there a risk that people are going to literally just spend their way out of it? Absolutely. And if we look back at previous public health crises um, that are not dissimilar to this one, then we can see that actually afterwards, there is this great uh, rush to spend money again. So for instance, in the Middle Ages, when we had the plague, the survivors went on to have a very hedonistic time and really decided to make the most out of life and enjoy themselves, which I think will be a very understandable reaction to this particular crisis as well. And again, it comes back to making sure that people um, have this balance between spending and, and enjoying life, but also thinking about the long term. And I do think that even though there will be this enormous pressure on people to spend money and this desire to spend money, and actually that will be encouraged by the government because here in the UK, we're a very retail service tourism based economy. And therefore, there will be this this pressure to to encourage people to get out and spend their money again. It will almost be seen as your patriotic duty to spend money, which, um, you you know, it's, it's not something you can say very often. But I think that Younger people will never forget this time. They will never be able to unremember the period where they were not basically allowed to leave their home, except for essential purposes, where all their normal spending opportunities were cut off, where many young people will have lost income, will have been furloughed. And we know from the statistics that younger people are the most likely to lose income and work as a result of of what's happened. They won't forget that. And I think that will inform their approach to money in the future. And it will make them think, hang on, it's happened before. It could happen again. I better be prepared and I better make sure that I'm not spending all the money that I earn and that I am keeping some aside for a rainy day because we've seen the last year that boy, it can rain. Absolutely. Now, for those that have managed to actually build up some cash over this time, what should their approach be now? Should they be directing those funds towards long term goals such as buying property, starting an investment portfolio, or as you say, investing in startups? What's the strategy now? Well, I think it very much depends on your own situation. So for instance, if you have got some chronic debt, then your priority really ought to be paying that off because that will really weigh you down and potentially harm your credit score, which will make it more difficult to borrow money in the future. So tackling your debts is your first priority and then making sure you have got that emergency savings pot. 
And that money should always be in a fund that you can easily access. Here in the UK, we have lots of different kinds of savings accounts, and some of them lock up your money for longer and you get a better interest rate. Uh, but some of them will allow you to get your money instantly, which will be really, really useful if you have an emergency. And it's just much more relaxed and cheaper than borrowing money. I think that's something that a lot of young people have learned the hard way in recent times. But beyond that, I would say that you need to be thinking about what you want out of your future. And I think this time will have prompted young people to really reflect on their lives and their values, why they work, why they spend money, and whether they're happy. And if they're not happy, what changes they can make. And I think what you do with your finances is a big part of that. So, for instance, we've had this movement called the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement, the FIRE movement. It's really had a lot of traction in the US, but it started to spread across the world. And there are aspects of the FIRE movement that I think can be quite off-putting and unrealistic. The idea that you would want to retire at 40, it's not for everyone. Uh, there are lots of people in the movement who are, you could argue, quite privileged, already in a fairly decent position to retire early anyway, and they don't have massive expenses to think about in their life, um, such as raising a young family. Um, but the idea of actually reducing what you spend in your working lifetime so that you can save and invest more for the future, there is nothing wrong with that. And I actually think everybody could benefit from thinking about ways to avoid unnecessary expenditure in their lives so that they do have some money to put aside for their future. Um, and if you've been in a less than ideal housing situation during this crisis, i.e. you are renting a house with other people who you don't particularly get on with, then I think you'll definitely be wanting to try and save up for your first home. And if that's the case, maybe you want to be saving towards that then trying to maximise your workplace pension and having an investment product as well, just so that you can create more options and freedom for you further down the line. So in a way, for those that are still in lockdown, this is a once in a time opportunity. It's not often we go on a kind of forced national spending diet, is it? So this is a real opportunity in a way to get to grips with your finances. It is, absolutely, for two main reasons. Firstly, all those spending avenues have been closed off. So in a way, it's been a kind of strange experiment. What happens if you if you can't uh, go on holiday? What happens if you shut down the nighttime economy? What happens if you basically close down non-essential shops? I think it really forces younger people to think about why they spend money. And I mentioned the fire movement before. What it involves is basically cutting down your, your spending during your working lifetime so that you can build up that investment pot to retire sooner than you otherwise would. Some people choose to retire at 40, which I think is a bit too soon, but others, you know, might decide that actually it's just about giving themselves more options. And at one time, you know, there was a lot of, it was a lot of disdain for the fire movement. People felt that a lot of the demands that were made of people in, within the fire movement were, were really onerous. But actually this last year, you know, we've all been kind of living the fire lifestyle because we've we've all been spending hardly anything really um, on, on our leisure time and on our, on, on our social lives. And that means that some of those savings um, that, that are demanded by the fire movement don't seem quite so outlandish now. So I think that, yeah, definitely, it's about the fact that the spending avenues have been shut off, but also people have had more time. So if I think about my own situation, um, 
I've been investing for a few years now, but it's only really been in the past six months that I've been able to really engage with my investment portfolio. And it helps that I've been writing a book all about investing. So there's nothing like writing a book to make you think about this stuff. But it is also genuinely because I have had a little bit more time than I normally would to really research companies, research investments, find out what the best home for my investments would be and to properly engage with it as opposed to just kind of uh, outsourcing it to someone else or, or deciding that it's too difficult and complicated and leaving it for another day. Definitely do it yourself. And and I have to say this kind of forced spending diet is, is something quite joyous about actually watching your savings stack up. But that hasn't applied to everybody. I mean, while many young people have actually managed to build up savings, many more have also been hampered with very large debt because they might have lost their job and their main source of income. So how do you balance paying off those debts with your other long-term goals? I think that you're right to point out that there will be a massive divide between those who have been able to carry on working and earning and those who have been, for instance, here in the UK furloughed, which basically means that they've seen um, you know, a, a 20% drop in their income, 20 to 30% drop in their income. Or if they've lost work altogether, um, then, then it's been a really difficult period for, for those people. Um, what I would say is that you should always make sure that you are taking care of your basic needs in the here and now, particularly if you are in a crisis um, and your, your ability to earn money has been affected. Um, I think one of the biggest problems with the investment industry, certainly here in the UK, and I think this might apply more widely across the world as well, is that we've become very hung up on making young people contribute money towards long-term goals that they maybe don't, maybe can't always afford. So for instance, here in the UK, you know, there's a really strong emphasis on contributing into a pension from, from the earliest possible age, which makes a lot of sense because your money is going into the stock market when you invest in a pension. Um, and if it's uh, going into a pension aged 22, for instance, then you're going to have decades for that money to grow so you can take more risks. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't make sense if you are a 22 year old who's up to your eyeballs in personal debt, if you've got lots of outstanding credit card debt, if you are hoping to get on the housing ladder at some point. I think in that situation, we need to be much more cognizant that younger people have got these short term urgent needs that need to be addressed. Um, as opposed to making them put money into long-term products that they can't really afford. So you're writing a book right now, Own It. Uh, can you tell us when it comes out? And also, did you tweak the content as you went along to make sure it factored in the pandemic and how we're all going to come out of that? Definitely. So Own It was uh, supposed to be published last March, but then obviously the world fell apart. And I took that opportunity to go back and rewrite uh, quite a lot of the book to reflect what's happened and also to talk about the fact that now you know millennials in particular who could be defined roughly as being aged between 25 uh, and 35 although sometimes that can also encompass those in their late 30s that generation has really suffered a one-two punch in economic terms because in 2008 we had the global economic crash um, and I think in countries across the world the generation of young people who were leaving school and education at that time were entering a much tougher jobs market. They had lower incomes, um, in some cases, a lot of student debt. 
And they, they generally took a very, very long time to find their feet. And now, just as they were really establishing themselves financially, this crisis came along and it's really knocked us for six. So I think my book was all about how we can perhaps snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. What can we do so that we are in a more secure, prosperous place in the future? And my conclusion is that the only way that we can get to that better place is through investing. And in the UK, I think the main reason for that is that we have this environment of very low interest rates. Interest is the reward that you get for saving money. Well, we're getting hardly any reward right now because the national base rate is 0.1%. And if inflation is, you know, running above that, then essentially you are losing money in real terms by saving it in the bank. So over the long term, you have to take more risk with your money and you have to engage with investing. And uh, the pandemic hasn't changed that. If anything, it's just made that all the more true. But yes, the book has now been finished and it will be out this year on March the 16th. And what about your own finances? You know, you're a millennial yourself. How have your finances been affected over the last year? Well, I'm self-employed. So like most self-employed people, my income definitely took a hit because, uh, for instance, I do a lot of speaking in normal times. And at the moment, I'm not doing as much speaking for obvious reasons. So I have had to take advantage of the uh, Chancellor's uh, self-employed income support scheme. So the Treasury here in the UK came up with this scheme to really plug the income gap for lots of freelancers, not all freelancers, there are about 3 million self-employed people in the UK who haven't been eligible for any financial support. And this has been an absolutely nightmarish year for those people. But luckily, I've been self-employed for a few years. So I had tax returns to show what my income was, and therefore I was eligible for the scheme. So that's really cushioned the blow for me. But I also moved back home uh, with my family before this crisis kicked off at the beginning of last year, because I could see the way the wind was blowing. Um, And I did that primarily to help out my family and give them support. But also, it has saved me some money. And I think there's been a massive trend that's really gone under the radar of younger people moving back home with their families during this crisis to save money, to be close to their parents. And I think that that is something that we haven't really reported here in the UK very widely, but it is definitely going on. What other strategies did you kind of adopt to help get yourself through this time financially? Well, I think like a lot of younger people, I figured out what I needed to do to adapt to the situation. So there were certain parts of my uh, portfolio, my working portfolio that, that I couldn't pursue in this current environment. So I had to turn to other things. Um, and for instance, you know, writing my book has been something that's been a real salvation in a way, because um, I had the time and the the headspace to dedicate to writing the book. Uh, But also I figured that lots of younger people, you know, then they're not necessarily going to have many things to do at the moment, except read up on investing and really engage with the subject. And they too will have that headspace to really think about it. So I've I've pivoted my career towards those things that I think are going to be much more in favour in this current climate that people are going to be more inclined to do in this current climate. Um, But how have I coped with this really? Like everybody, I've I've just tried to be kind to myself and kind to the people around me. Um, I have my good days, my bad days, lots of days in between. Um, But I really do feel that that engaging more with my investments and also um, doing little things like selling clothes online. That's something I've started doing for the first time lately. And I've really enjoyed it. It's been very creative. Um, You know, I engage with some really lovely buyers who give me great feedback. Um, and I earn 
a bit of money as well. I've earned nearly £200 uh, and I've only had my um, vintage shop open a few weeks. So that's something new that I've done as a result of the situation that we're in. And I don't think I would have done it if 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 um, this had been, you know, a normal period. So in a way, it has presented opportunities that um, I'm, I'm very glad in a way that it's presented those kinds of opportunities. So as we look forward to, uh, you know, vaccination drive and possibly easing out of this crisis, what are your top three strategies for those who have managed to build up some savings? What should they do now? What's their action plan? I would say, first of all, figure out how much money you want to put in cash versus equities. Equities referring to shares in the stock market, shares in companies. Um, So if you put your money into cash, it's a lot safer. Usually your money will be protected. But bear in mind what I said before about the fact that inflation can erode the value of your money. So if inflation is above the interest rate that you earn on your savings, your money is losing value in real terms. So think about, you know, whether or not you want to have all your money in cash. That may be, you know, an option if if you really, really don't feel like you can afford to lose any of that money whatsoever. But I find in in my experience that if you have got your basic short term savings sorted out, then yes, you can have some of your money in the stock market. So it may be that you'll have 30 percent of your money in savings and 70 percent of your money in the stock market. Or perhaps if you want to take a little bit more risk, 20% of your money in savings and 80% in the stock market. And then after that, um, figure out whether you want to do it yourself or if you want to outsource it to someone else. Now, for most younger people, certainly here in the UK, seeking advice from a real financial advisor is too expensive. So you may have to use a robo-advisor or a digital wealth manager where they'll come up with um, a suggested portfolio based on your appetite for risk and how much you've got to invest. But alternatively, if you want to have more control over your portfolio, you can do it yourself through an online investing platform. And if you choose that option, uh, I guess my final tip would be really keep an eye on the costs because they add up over time. They can make a huge difference to your long-term returns. We're talking thousands of pounds here. It really can be that dramatic. So try to pay as little as possible and find out what the exact charge will be on your investment portfolio. And finally, um, the more you engage with your investments, the more you'll get out of them. So think about your values. What kind of companies do you want to invest in? Which companies do you think are part of the solution? And which companies do you think are part of the problem? And that might help you really guide your portfolio to a place where you know not only are you earning a return but you're going to be able to sleep at night that's a win-win scenario yes i think we all need to make sure that our lives are a little bit easier going forward thank you very much for joining us this week iona it's been a pleasure thank you alex thank you this week to iona bain if you would like advice on your personal finance issues you can write to me on pf at the national.ae and remember that pf stands for personal finance please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and also leave us a review so we know what you think this episode was produced by arthur edison i've been your host alice hayne